Young people today have been hit with the triple threat of COVID-19, the recession and Brexit. This has had catastrophic consequences for their careers and opportunities for employment. In fact, the latest ONS data has revealed that young people not in employment, education or training is currently the highest it has been for four years. I'm Elisa Amar, and on this month's episode, I'll be chatting to economists, experts and young graduates to understand the causes and consequences of youth unemployment and what should be done. So what if youth unemployment wasn't so high? What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. The latest data shows that youth unemployment has increased greatly as a result of the pandemic. But let's go back a little in time and see what the situation was like before COVID-19. I spoke to Sarah Hewan, an economist and head of research for Europe and the Americas at Standard Chartered Bank, to find out a little more about the problem of youth unemployment and why it's so high. Could you maybe explain the problem of youth unemployment in comparison with other age groups? Generally, while the UK has been very successful in reducing unemployment for uh, all age groups over the past 30 years, the worry is that the improvement hasn't been so good for young people compared to the over 25. So, for example, in the past decade, the youth unemployment rate has generally been over three times higher than the unemployment rate for 25 to 49 year olds and actually four times higher than the unemployment rate for the over 50s. Before the pandemic, the unemployment rate for 18 to 25 year olds was over 10%. And the unemployment rate for 16 and 17 year olds was 22%. Now, since the pandemic, the unemployment rate for that 18 to 25 year old group has risen to 13.4%. And that compares with around 3.8 to 3.9% of older workers, so over 25s. What does that mean in in overall numbers? Um, It's about 590,000 16 to 24 year olds who are unemployed according to the latest data that's for the end of last year Um, so we're talking about half a million over half a million 18 to 24 year olds Um, and that's a rise of about a hundred thousand extra unemployed 18 to 24 year olds since the start of the pandemic so why is youth unemployment so high then I think there are a number of reasons. Part of the reason in normal times is what we call frictional unemployment. And it's the that transition between school and work or the transition between uh, further education and employment. It, it just takes time to perhaps apply for jobs and, and to actually get jobs. Um, I think there are a number of other reasons as well. I mean, the, the obvious one perhaps is the lack of skills or qualifications, um, lack of vocational training um, and experience. So employers tend to prefer to work with experienced staff. And with experience comes networks. Uh, Lack of networks may be another issue. Older employees are able to build up work and professional networks. And that's always very handy when it comes to, you know, looking for a job, looking for a, a new job. Young people haven't had an opportunity to build up those networks yet. Um, another interesting feature as well is that we've seen 
over the past years, more older people in the workforce. So if, if we go back to the 1990s and we look at over 50, say 50 to 64 year olds, around 60%, 61% were either employed or were looking for work and 39% were so-called inactive. So they were retired or just not looking for work. If we look at the situation today, around three quarters of older people over 50s are active in the labour market and only 25% are inactive. So that means that since the 1990s, you've had about 4 million older people who have come into the workforce. Um, and by contrast, if you look at 18 to 24 year olds, actually there's been a decline in the number who are, uh, who are employed. You obviously mentioned there are like structural problems, there's specific problems such as skills and network building, intergenerational issues. So there's obviously not one major cause of the rise of youth unemployment. So I'm interested from your perspective, what are the solutions to this problem? If, if there isn't a single cause, what, what can we do about it? Well, I think that there are, there are perhaps a range of solutions. They fall into two buckets. The first is to ensure that young people are getting the right education and training. For example, you know, improving the quality and relevance of vocational training and qualifications, you know, careers learning, employability skills, make sure that careers advice is aligned with the needs of the economy and the local labour market. The second, of course, is to increase support and incentives for employers to take on young people. The government has introduced schemes in recent years. So, for example, we've had the apprenticeship levy. Um, large businesses have to pay an apprenticeship levy and they can draw on funds to set up apprenticeships. Unfortunately, the data don't suggest that um, there's been an improvement, if anything, the, the number of apprentices has actually fallen in recent years. So if we look back, say, six or seven years back to 2014, then there were around half a million apprentices. And the latest data for 2019 showed that that had fallen to 320,000. So that's a little bit disappointing. Uh, it may reflect an increase in the use of higher and degree apprenticeships. So that's a move towards fewer, but more costly apprenticeships. And there have been some concerns as well about the bureaucracy involved in accessing apprenticeships funding via the levy scheme. So anything that would help to make it easier to access funding for apprenticeships would be very welcome. So this all needs money, doesn't it? Both at the supply and the demand side of youth unemployment. So do you think that is the central solution, just more funding from the government? Well, I think funds do certainly help, but one of the, you know, the experience of some businesses is that if it's too complicated to access the funds, then it's it's not worth um, moving ahead with, with setting up those apprenticeships. Um, I think that there has been a problem in the country with trying to you know, set up a sort of, you know, national scheme, nationally recognised apprenticeships, which are consistent. There seem to be a lot of, um, uh, seems to be a lot of chopping and, and changing. Um, and maybe businesses also need to really think about where they can take on younger people. So, for example, businesses that might not naturally take on um, school leavers who, who would generally be employing graduates or postgraduates, 
they can be they should be maybe looking for opportunities to employ younger people and um you know it, it just takes a bit of a bit of imagination you know perhaps a little bit of support as well from from the government or from professional bodies so i think that there are a range of factors that can be helpful uh, it's not just down to funding as sarah has shown there are many long standing structural causes for the high rates of youth unemployment Young people are disadvantaged in networking and experience opportunities and initiatives such as the apprenticeship levy haven't been as successful as one would like. But what has the impact of the coronavirus pandemic been on all this? I talked to IF researcher Lizzie Simpson to find out how the pandemic has specifically impacted the world of youth unemployment. The pandemic has obviously had a bad effect for a lot of people's employment, but this has been so much worse for young people. Um, so during a recession, young people are more likely to lose their job anyway, um, because they often have less work experience and because companies often stop hiring new people. So this affects new entrants to the job market more. But the COVID-19 recession has been doubly bad for young people, because on top of being more likely to lose their job anyway, a lot of the sectors that have been closed during this time have been ones like hospitality. And these are sectors that employ a high percentage of young people. It's also been a really difficult time for graduates, class of 2020, um, because a lot of companies have cut back on graduate recruitment. So half of companies hired less or no graduates last year compared to previous years. And unfortunately, it's probably likely to get a lot worse this year because you'll have a lot of graduates from last year who still haven't found a job and they'll be competing with the class of 2021 for like an increasingly small number of jobs. It's really interesting what you said about hospitality because I'd never really thought about it like that before but actually it's predominantly young people who are in those retail and hospitality roles and suddenly those jobs have gone because of the pandemic and it's also worrying how you said that we're going to have two years competing for basically one year's worth of jobs do you think that's going to cause issues? So first of all with hospitality as well as being more likely to lose your job a lot of people working in hospitality are also on zero hours contracts so they haven't been eligible for furlough money. So they might, even people who still technically classed as employed, they haven't been getting paid throughout this time. So we've got that issue as well. Well, it is, it's like a concern that quite a lot of my year group have because I was a 2020 graduate and now I'm doing a master's. So I know that I'm going to be a 2021 graduate, but I'm also going to be competing with the 2020 graduates. So mm. it, it definitely worries me. Um, yeah I think as well like we might have an issue um, that we've seen a lot of people who were due to graduate in 2020 either from school or from uni have decided to stay on have decided to go to uni when they might not have done or have done a master's because and, and it makes sense because you want to avoid graduating into such a difficult job market but all this is doing is really delaying it by a year by a few years and yeah like you say we might have extra problems down the line. A hundred percent. So many of my friends did panic masters because they couldn't get <laughs> yeah. they couldn't get any jobs. So they were like, I might as well stay another year in education. So that's a really good point. Mm. I'm just interested. How does this thing compare to other generations? Is is it that all generations have it hard, or specifically are young people targeted for having it the hardest? Obviously, it's different for every person and what employment sector you're in and things like that. But I think on the whole, when you look at like statistics on employment, young people have definitely had a worse time during the pandemic than older people have. And do you have any stats or facts to back what you're saying up? 
Yeah, so um, the latest figures from the Office of National Statistics, they show that since February 2020, so just before the impact of the pandemic really started, the number of employees on the payroll has fallen by 726,000. Um, so the really shocking statistic here is that three out of five job losses were people under 25, which is, yeah, so 60% of people who lost their job are young people. If you think 16 to 24 year olds as a demographic in the UK population aren't that large a group, so then suddenly to take up 60%. Obviously, there have been a lot of older people who've been affected as well, but it's when you look at the overall statistics, it is just so shocking how much it's been young people. What are the wider consequences of this whole crisis on young people? So I think from apart, apart from the financial consequences, obviously, of losing your job or not being able to get a job, um, in the short term, this can mean some massive life changes for young people. So obviously, if you've lost your job, then you can't pay rent and you're either having to go into debt or go into your savings. And a lot of young people don't have any savings in the first place. This has meant that a lot of young people may have to move out of their home and move back in with their parents. So one study found that last year, two thirds of single adults in their twenties were living with their parents, which is such a high proportion of people, it's crazy. And I think obviously this has some emotional consequences as well. So like the loss of independence and maybe the loss of your support network and your friends if you've had to move out of that area. Um, and I think as well, there's also just the mental toll of being unemployed for a really long time and applying for jobs in such a difficult job market. But as well as these short-term effects, there can also be some potential long-term effects. Um, so when a country suffers from a serious shock to the economy, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, this can lead to economic scarring, which is where there's a slowdown or a fall in a country's GDP. And this can lead to weak economic growth in the longer term. And we see this happening right now in the UK. Um, so our GDP is below the level that was expected. And we've actually been one of the hardest hit countries in terms of GDP. Um, so what this means is that there's less job prospects, which puts young people at risk of long-term unemployment. But also this can affect their career prospects and earnings five, 10 years into the future as well. So it can just have like a really long term effect for young people. And there have been some initiatives to help the situation. Um, but your research specifically has shown that there are quite a few flaws and problems to them. So could you kind of outline what these schemes and initiatives are and the problems that you've encountered with them? Um, sure. So I've been looking at the data on the Kickstart scheme. Um, so the Kickstart scheme is a government funded scheme um, which provides funding to employers to create new job placements for young people. Um, so to be eligible for this scheme, you need to be aged 16 to 24. You need to be currently claiming universal credit and you're kind of deemed as risk of long term unemployment. Um, so what this scheme does is it provides funding for a minimum wage for 25 hours a week for up to six months. Um, so the aim of this scheme is not just to help young people into employment now, but to also give them like skills and experience in the workplace that will hopefully help them get full time employment later on once they finish the placement. So in principle, I think that Kickstart is a really good idea because it's acknowledging that young people have been worse affected and it's providing that targeted employment support for the group of people that needs it the most. Um, unfortunately, the main problem with the Kickstart scheme is that hardly anyone has actually started working on it so far. Um, so in January 2021, 
the government said that Kickstart has created 120,000 new job placements, but in reality, less than 2,000 young people have actually started working. And the government said this is because of the ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, meaning that they can't start work. And this is completely understandable. Um, so we know why they haven't started work yet, but it hasn't solved the problem of that currently we have a lot of unemployed young people who are waiting for the restrictions to be over and start their placement. And in the meantime, they haven't got a proper income. I think there's a certain level of irony that COVID is causing such drastic job loss for young people, yet initiatives such as the Kickstart scheme, which should help that, are being hindered because of COVID. It's unclear why they haven't all started, because presumably this means that all of those schemes are in person. I don't and also, I feel like we're a year on now, and certain like work environments are definitely adapting well to remote learning, hence the question of why this couldn't. Yeah, definitely. Now that you're pointing it out, because... When I was doing the research, I was kind of like, oh, that does make sense. Oh, they couldn't have people come into the workplace. Now that you've pointed it out, like most workplaces have moved online. So it is a bit strange. Definitely. So what do you think the solution is to this unemployment crisis? The pandemic has highlighted issues that were actually already there for youth unemployment before the pandemic even started. Um, so I think a big issue that I mentioned earlier is um, the gig economy and like zero hours contracts and things like that. Um, so a lot of these people don't get employee benefits. And so they didn't get furlough money during the pandemic, which is just, it, I don't know, it's just not right, especially when they're still considered employees, but they're not receiving any money. Um, so I think definitely there should be a review of how the gig economy works and whether we need more employee benefits for people working these contracts. Um, I think... Yeah, another big issue is with the graduate job market. So obviously it's incredibly difficult at the moment, but even before the pandemic, it was so competitive. And there was also a lot of expectation, even for entry level jobs that you have to have a lot of work experience as well. And I think, especially when you consider the amount of debt that graduates are getting into, how much they pay to go to university, to then finish and be expected to work for free, and that's a normal thing. It's just not right. And it's just not something that should be happening. So I think definitely the government should be looking at ways that they can maybe incentivize companies to create more graduate jobs so it's less competitive and also maybe looking at easing the student loan repayments in light of how difficult the market is for graduates at the moment. I think it's interesting that you said all that stuff about work experience and unpaid internships because I've been talking to quite a lot of young people over the last month and that's been a really big thing that people have mentioned you know how much unpaid work experience should you have after you've got a whole degree yeah definitely I feel like with graduates like the bar just keeps getting raised like it used to just be impressive that you had a degree and now it's like oh and you also need the experience you also need a master's degree and and so all these people are doing those things but then you've just got a whole load of really talented graduates with all of these things and they still can't get a job it's just it's not a good system currently it would also be good to review how the minimum wage and living wage system works um so I don't know if people know this, but currently the system is from the 1st of April onwards this year, if you're age 23 and above, then you're entitled to the living wage. But if you're younger than 23, then you only get the minimum wage, which is lower. And you also get paid different amounts depending on how old you are. So if you're 16, you get much less than someone who is 18 or someone who is 20. And this just seems quite regressive. 
And I think, especially when you consider that young people nowadays often have high housing costs because they're renting and prices are really high. And a lot of them, like we said, have big student debt. It doesn't make sense that they should be earning less as well and that their minimum wage is lower. So I think definitely in light of how bad the pandemic has been for young people's employment, we could look at changing this. Change is something that definitely needs to happen. As Lizzie has shown, the coronavirus pandemic has made an already dire situation even worse. But this is all theoretical. So let's hear from some young graduates themselves. I spoke to Catherine and Susanna to hear more about how they feel and how they are navigating the situation. How have you found the world of graduate employment and what challenges are you facing? I had gone into university and done everything that I could. My CV was packed out with different experience. I had done so much unpaid experience um, to then kind of feel like it was all for nothing. So the retail work that you went back to, was that work that you did before your undergrad or during your undergrad? And essentially you came out with a degree and you were going backwards job wise, did you feel? Yes, a hundred percent. So it was a job. So I started, I got my first job when I was 16 and I worked all the way through um, college. I worked all the way through university. Um, So it was a job that I had at university. It was my part-time job. My last Christmas at uni, I immediately and like thought that would be my last Christmas working retail and I remember being back and I was absolutely heartbroken when I realized that I would be working yet another Christmas in retail doing something that I I, you know I wasn't passionate about I didn't love I didn't want to be doing I was purely doing to pay the bills so I remember there was this very specific moment and we had been back in London for it must have been about a month and a half and I had kind of realized that none of the plans that I had had in my mind were were you know working out per se so um we were shopping and there was a shop that had a sign up in the window saying that they were looking for help and I went in with you know I went in to go have a chat with them and I was talking to them they were absolutely lovely and they were like yes of course send us your email and I remember leaving that shop and I had tears in my eyes because I was so heartbroken about the fact that I'd gone to uni I'd done all this unpaid work experience I'd done all of this that I thought enable me to be able to show someone that I could work hard and instead I was there applying for retail jobs again which is something that I'd done since I was 16. That's so sad and Susanna, <laughs> how have you found the experience because you mentioned to me that you had this job spreadsheet what is that and, and why? So I have a job spreadsheet that uh, is color-coded on the basis of green which would be success, yellow which would be under consideration and red which is rejected and unfortunately the majority is red but I think the thing that frustrates me the most is not only obviously the lack of opportunities because I I think that's out of the realm of control of anybody but it's just the lack of feedback I think and I think if you like taking what Catherine said about going going backwards the job process is so soul-destroying because you don't feel like you make progress it's either zero no job one job and you you can never build on your application process because nobody has the time or nobody says they have the time to tell you oh well the reason was because in your cv you come across as passive instead of active for example um and i think that's kind of where i am with it so i i feel like i'm just sending off applications and cvs into the void and 
like that's why I have this spreadsheet just to remind myself what have I applied for what is the status Susanna you absolutely hit the nail on the head with everything you just said then for both of you you've got an undergraduate degree you've nearly got a master's degree and you're having these problems and going back to what Catherine was saying about working in retail do you think that young people are settling for what they can get rather than what they want like do you both feel like the job like or the career path that you want to go into is actually feasible for me I did settle for what I could get so essentially for the first five months when I was looking for a job like I mentioned I was doing retail I was doing interpreting I was doing a bunch of different things um, just to fill the time and keep myself busy and make money and then I ended up getting a grad role in digital marketing which is not something that I ever really wanted to do it wasn't something that I was particularly passionate about it was something that I was you know I was perfectly happy doing but I knew my aim the whole time that I was doing that was how am I going to get back to doing journalism how am I going to go get back into the career path that I actually want to do no definitely and I know a lot of people who are now in the hundreds of job applications that they've sent off and they started off really specific they apply for what they wanted to and then slowly over the year they've just branched out into everything and now some of my friends are doing things that they don't want to do that have no like relation to their degree but it's a job and it pays which is sad. I don't know a single person that is in a role at the moment aside from maybe the more vocational subjects that are actually in a role that is exactly what they would want to do and if they are in a role that is exactly what they want to do it's because they've been privileged enough to have a network to support them through a year a year plus of job applications because I think that's the that's the sad truth that unless you've got family willing to support you you need to accept something that's maybe less ideal than what you would want to be doing in order to survive I mean in kind of a different way to Catherine I don't have like a a clear path to what I want to do so for for context I studied politics at undergrad and I'm now doing a master's in environmental social science with a view to doing some sort of environmental sustainability consulting and that is clearer than it was maybe two years ago but the fact of the matter is like all roles employers want the impossible they want somebody that is entry level and that is okay with a lower end salary but has extensive experience and extensive paid experience which I think is the thing that gets my back up the most it's just because my internship was unpaid why does that make the work that I genuinely did why is that less valuable on a job application and I think it would be fine if that would be something you could explain in an interview But for the most part, a lot of these are just like pre-selection requirements. So you don't even get a chance to say, well, no, I'm I'm not 100 percent on your essential criteria. But here is where I fulfill that. And so I think that does lead to people having to settle for things that are so outside of the realm of what they actually want to do. And like I say to people all the time, my only requirement for both geographically and kind of what I want to do is somebody will give me a job. And that is it. Yeah, I was 100% the same when I was looking for jobs. It felt like it was a never ending search. And 
um, very similarly to Susanna, actually, I had my own spreadsheet, um, which I think is is an absolute must when you're sending off so many applications because you do you forget who you've applied, what jobs you've applied for, you forget when you know when applications are due, especially because most applications aren't just like a quick you know send off a CV and you're done. It's pages and pages of application uh, form questions it's pages and pages of you know your cover letter your cv examples of past work portfolio you know answering very role specific questions and i think that's where the issue lies as well is that you're spending four hours on an application to get absolutely nothing not even a rejection letter absolutely nothing um and yeah, I was definitely in the same situation. As long as geographically I was able to take a job, I pretty much would have taken anything um, when I was applying for jobs. And you touched upon it there, actually, by saying how many hours it takes to do an application. I actually think you're erring on the, the small side of the hours. It's not just four hours. You know, you said it's pages and pages of questions. Do you think that it's becoming a situation where actually applying for jobs is a full time job in itself? Yes, 100 um, percent. I don't even know how else I can kind of add to that. I don't think there is anything that I can add to it. I do think that when you're applying for jobs, it does become a full time job. It's completely consuming. That's well, I know for myself, at least that was all I could think of it was all I could think of was have I applied for this have I done this have I done the best that I can in that I remember one time there was I was applying for jobs and I think it was like four o'clock in the morning and I was about to go to bed and just as I went to bed I had a message come through from an email come through from uh, a recruitment something or other and they'd sent a job whose application like closing date was at 8 a.m that morning and it wasn't even a job that I wanted it wasn't a job that I had ever even considered. I can't off the top of my head remember what it was, um, but it was just, I was in that mindset of like, okay, I've been sent a job, I must apply for it. So at four o'clock in the morning, I got up and started applying for a job that probably, I don't think I was even qualified for. It was just that I was in that mindset of I must apply for everything. So my question to you then is, what would you like to see done? I feel like it's kind of, it's this same kind of question of how long is a piece of string? Because how do you solve this really awful situation without somehow putting somebody else at a disadvantage? And I think it's very, very difficult. So I wish that I had a better answer. Um, and I guess kind of the best answer would be no more unpaid internships. But would that just then make the, the industry even harder to get into? Would that just mean that less people are getting these work uh, work experiences and work opportunities that are enabling them to enter the industry. I mean, unfortunately, probably that's that's the truth. I mean, firstly, I think, obviously, I agree with Catherine and that I don't actually think it would happen, but I think we, we have to give some kind of value to young people's work and their time they're doing the work, they're intelligent people, they deserve to have some kind of compensation, whatever that looks like. And like, ideally, I'd like to see a change in the culture of kind of job applications in the exactly what Catherine said, how long is a piece of string? Yes, you might have X amount of years of experience, but what does that really mean? I think more needs to be done 
on the employee employer side as well to actually like it's not laziness obviously they get an incredibly large amount of applications but i think an awareness that you can have you can be as good as somebody with five years of experience with two years of experience it really just depends on what you did with that time i think it's basically trying to be a bit less prescriptive in order to filter but i again i have no idea how how you would go about doing that it's it is really really tough and i do think that I don't, like like I said to you earlier I think that the most important thing is remembering what you went into it for and what mm. like you know why you decided to pursue what you pursued because that's such an important thing to remember and that was something that really kept me going when I was applying for jobs because I kid you not when I say that it was all I thought about it was absolutely mm. the first thought on my mind in the morning and the last thought before I went to sleep which is really sad yeah, to say not- Mm, it's not necessarily the time it takes it's the mental effort as well because exactly like if you've got a job application that's got 20 pages and it makes you think about what you would do in the role you also get weirdly committed to it as well like a hundred percent I completely agree it is it's just such a mental load to try and deal with it and keep positive at the same time especially Mm. if you are facing financial difficulty there's a whole host of issues that come with it isn't there you know there's mental health issues and Mm. you know losing contact with your family and friends because you just don't feel like you anymore and I think there's I don't know it's so much deeper than just not having a job because like a lot of people will probably be similar in the way that they value their self-worth and what they're doing and what they're doing has a massive link into what career they're in and I just think yeah there's it's just a big hole (laughs) it's just a black hole (laughs) I'm such a perfectionist as well so when I Mm -hmm. do these sorts of applications it won't just be an hour and sent off it will be days yeah and 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 you you want to put your all into it because you know that a thousand other people are going for the same one position so if you don't you're putting yourself to a disadvantage. For many, finding a job as a young graduate is a full-time job in itself. It's mentally exhausting, it seems impossible, and as Catherine and Susanna show, if you don't have a strong support network around you, it can also be incredibly isolating. But it shouldn't be this way. At the beginning of March this year, the Chancellor announced the UK's 2021 budget. So, are there any measures here to better the situation on youth unemployment? Here's what IFS co-founder Ashley Seagar had to say. There was very little announcement of any new training, of any new apprenticeships, uh, nothing like that really. Nothing. I, th- I think I think it was scandalous how little attention was paid to young people. I mean, you could argue, or he would argue, uh, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak would argue, well, we agreed to continue furloughing. The problem with that is, though, that it means a drop in wages. And young people are the least able to afford that because they don't have the financial well-being. They don't have the savings built up. So we were very disappointed by the budget. It was actually shameful from an intergenerational standpoint. It was shameful. Shameful indeed. As this episode has shown, youth unemployment was already incredibly high before the pandemic. The onset of COVID has only worsened the problems and the budget doesn't really provide much help for the future either. We need government incentivized initiatives, both for the employer and employee, that actually work in practice, 
We need more jobs, work experience and internship opportunities. Young people need better skills training and there needs to be reform in the culture of job applications. Only then will we lower the rates of youth unemployment. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics and discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to www.if.org.uk, where IF have conducted incredible research into the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation.